Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Are we on now? Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. Wow. This is quite possibly the most lively you have ever been. I now recant all the statements on you being allowed to have caffeine. Second service doesn't get any. Coffee shop closes at 9.30. I was going to start with asking this question. What's the most memorable trip you've ever been in or been on and why? What's the most memorable place you've ever been to 22 years, four months, and two weeks ago? Uh, my wife and I went on our honeymoon, and we went to Maui, and it was awesome, and then we saved up, and 20 years later for our 20-year anniversary, we got to take te- two teenage girls with us, uh, McKenna and Kaylin, and we went to the big island of Hawaii, and what is it that made it memorable? Well, the islands itself were pretty awesome, the tropical trees, the plants that we saw, the array of fish crystal blue waters, the different colors of sand on the beaches. But I think best of all is that Jolene and the girls were there. That's probably what made it the most memorable. What we're about to discover is that we're going to go on a trip. We're going to get to see a place that we're going to be in for eternity that is going to make Hawaii look like nothing. We're going to be blown away by what we're going to see when we get to heaven. And I've heard people say before, well, you shouldn't be too heavenly minded or you'll be of no earthly good, to which I would respectfully disagree and say that when my mind is totally focused on the king of kings and his kingdom, I tend to be much more loving, much more gracious, and much more sacrificial because I remember that this is not my home. So why cling so tightly to things that are going to simply flee away? Why not look more forward to the things that are going to last forever? And what's that going to look like? Well, last week we talked about three different things that we're about to explore together when it comes to getting ready for our eternal home. We looked at the people last week. This week we're going to take a look at the place. If you would, would you stand with me as we read Revelation chapter 21? We're beginning in verse 9, and I'll give you a moment to turn there. Revelation 21 verse 9 through Revelation chapter 22, verse 5. If that sounds like a weird break and you're wondering why are we going five verses into the next chapter, it's because I don't fully understand in 550 AD when they put chapters and verses in our Bible why they decided to break where they did in Revelation 21. So we're going to go through an entire what we would call literary unit of thought, which will take us into 22.5. You got all that now, right? Here we go. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, and on the north, three gates, and on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. 
And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies foursquare, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Gang, go ahead and have a seat. Strap on your seatbelts. We got a lot to cover today. And I'm looking forward to what you're going to walk away with this morning when it comes to being encouraged. Hopefully a renewed sense of joy. Hopefully a renewed sense of expectation as to what you're going to get to experience once you get to heaven. This is going to start to sound familiar, but our big idea is the same last week as this week, and it will be next week as well. But our future home with Jesus makes this present journey worth traveling. And if we're honest, some of this present journey has a bunch of joys and ups, and then there's a bunch of downs and valleys. But in the midst of all of it, keep reminding yourself, I have to keep reminding myself that this present journey is worth traveling because of where my future home lies and that's with Jesus. We're looking at three things together over the course of three weeks, and that is how do I persevere on this journey while I prepare for my final destination? Remember last week, what was our first action step? Get to know the people. I want to get to know the people I'm going to spend eternity with. First and foremost, it's Jesus. That's what makes heaven heaven. We're about to take a look at the place today, and we're going to look at all kinds of things. We're going to take a look at the measurement of the New Jerusalem. We'll take a look at some of the amazing jewels. We're going to take a look at these massive pillars that are made of single pearls. We're going to take a look at these massive foundation stones and the different stones that get listed. But keep in mind, that's all just an addition to being with Jesus. That's what's going to make heaven heaven. It doesn't matter how much beauty you bring into a place. If it lacks Jesus, it's dead. Some of the most beautiful cathedrals and churches in the world are dead. 
There's nothing happening in them. There's no real worship of Jesus. In fact, when Jesus showed up on the scene, he saw some of the most pious and religious people in the world. And do you know how he spoke of them? Like whitewashed tombs. Now, that might not mean anything to you unless you see a picture and study what a whitewashed tomb looks like. They are beautiful. The craftsmanship and architecture that goes into making a whitewashed tomb is amazing, and they are worth tens of thousands of dollars. But here's what Jesus said. Do you know what's inside of all that beauty? Death. Nothing's happening. Well, we're going to get to heaven, and we're going to experience immense beauty, but it's going to be full of life. Let me show you. We're going to start in verses 9 through 11. Revelation 21, verses 9 through 11. We're going to begin to break this down in much smaller chunks. And again, hopefully this brings you some joy, some encouragement as we take a look at this is your future home. Before I start, aren't you all glad that this isn't your eternal home? Aren't you glad that this body is not your permanent body? I'm thankful. Verses 9 through 11. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the last seven plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. The first thing that John wants his hearers to hear is that heaven is awesome because it shines with God's glory. I can't wait to see what that's going to be like. We get little glimpses of God's glory. We go to places like Hawaii, or maybe you wake up and you see this beautiful sunrise, or just before you're going to bed, you see this beautiful sunset. There's little glimpses of God's glory, but that's not the full weight of what we're going to get to see once we get to heaven. But then we also get this description of this city actually coming down out of heaven. Please recognize this. This is a real city. This is a real place. It's not symbolic of some nebulous world or some nether world that we might get to be a part of. It is a real place. And I'll show you why I believe that more as we go further into this passage. But one thing I don't want us to miss before we go on is that he equates the new Jerusalem with the bride. It's interesting in verse 10, if you take a look at your Bibles, how many of you all start with the word and? My ESV version starts with the word and. In the Greek, it's the word chi, which is called a coordinating conjunction. Coordinating conjunctions take two thoughts or ideas and they tie them together. So what Jesus is doing through John here is he's tying together the new Jerusalem with the bride. And I thought, why did he do that? So without me having to make stuff up, I just started taking a look at Scripture. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 26 to 27, gives us the first of three reasons why I believe he tied the New Jerusalem with that bride that he's talking about. In Ephesians 5, 26 to 27, it tells us that Jesus is making the church spotless and pure which tells me that that's exactly what the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem is going to be like. They're going to be spotless and pure because he is the creator of it and nothing evil will be in it. Again, we'll look at that further. Second thing that I noted when it comes to marriage, according to God's word, is that it's meant to be permanent. Just like our relationship with God is going to be permanent. We don't ever have to worry about him divorcing us or leaving us. And then there's the third thing, just as the bride gets beautifully dressed and beautifully adorned for her wedding day, we get beautifully dressed and beautifully adorned because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. 
Those are three very exciting things about the new Jerusalem that we're going to get to experience. Now it goes on in verses 12 through 14. Look there with me. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the name of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Y'all know what I think gates stand for here? Gates. I think it's actual gates, because I think this is actually a real place. And you know what I think the 12 foundations that are being spoken of actually stand for? Real 12 foundations with the actual names of the 12 tribes of Israel on the gates. And it's interesting how they're all set up. On the east, three gates. North, three gates. South, three gates. West, three gates. Do you know that when Israel would go into a place and they were getting ready to protect themselves, they would put three tribes at the north, and they would put three at the east, and then they would put three at the south, and then three at the west, all facing out? God is making us aware of the fact that the covenant that he made with his people is going to be kept, and they are going to be in heaven with him. And then we also have the 12 foundations with which the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the lambs are written. There's actually going to be 12 foundation stones with the names of the apostles. Now, I want to tell you that as one of your shepherds that is here to protect you, I know y'all, some of y'all come from different theological backgrounds and those kinds of things, but from everything that we see in Scripture, the only way that you could have been an apostle of Jesus, because there are groups today that claim they have apostles and prophets, as soon as you come across a religious organization or group that says that they have apostles and prophets who are bringing revelation from God, flee for the hills. This is why I say this. There were multiple qualifications that had to be met to be considered an actual apostle of Jesus. One, he had to specifically call you while he was in the flesh. Number two, they had to have seen the resurrected Jesus. And number three, their name has to be written on one of the 12 foundation stones in heaven. I have never met anybody that meets those qualifications outside of the actual 12 apostles. So again, I would tell you that if you meet somebody that claims to be a prophet or apostle, run As you will see at the end of Revelation, it also says that anybody that adds to the words of this book, the plagues of this book will be added to them, and anyone that takes away from the words of this book will have their name taken from the book of life. Now, I've had people say to me, well, that was only about the book of Revelation, to which, again, I would respectfully disagree because the book of Revelation gives this sweeping uh, picture of all of human history from creation all the way to the eternal state, which would tell me that that encompasses all of God's word. If we add to any of it, the plagues will be added to us, or if we take away from it, it means that we were not truly a follower of Jesus. We were trying to be our own Jesus or be a savior or Messiah. And what I have noticed throughout scripture is that Jesus, God the Father, does not take kindly to giving their glory to anybody. The glory is for them themselves. We are not apostles, we are not prophets, and we will never become gods. Did you all know that? I might have just burst some bubbles. You will never be a god. Verses 15 through 17 go on to say this. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. Now, this is an interesting event. Why all of a sudden does he start measuring stuff? We've gotten into measurements before, and I'm going to speak to that in a moment. But again, there's three things 
at least three, probably not exhaustive, that I learned from this angel beginning to measure stuff. First of all, he measures it with a rod of gold. That seems to be speaking to the immense worth of this city that's being measured. What makes this city so valuable has everything to do with the architect, and that is God Almighty. Here's the second thing that I noted. These measurements are real measurements as we know them, telling us that this is going to be a real place where real people will spend a real eternity. Again, this is not symbolic. This is not allegorical. This is a real city that God has built for his glory and for our enjoyment. I can't wait to get to enjoy that. And then here's the third thing. This measuring is very similar to when God said that the angel was to measure the tribulation temple and the millennial temple. Now he's measuring the heavenly temple. Remember, why do measurements happen? When God measures something, he says, this is mine. It belongs to me, which means that the city is his, but also all the people that live in it belong to him. So God is, in essence, claiming ownership over that city and over all the people that live in it. I'll show you that he further takes ownership over us in just a moment. Go to Revelation chapter 21, verses 18 through 21. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. Why spend so much time listing out all those jewels? Because people were enamored in that day with jewels, but God wanted people to be aware of something. Those don't hold a candle to my glory. However, I do want you to see just how majestic this place is going to be and how it's all meant to point you back to myself. Did you know that the beauty of diamonds or the beauty of a sunset or the beauty of a sunrise or the beauty of the birth of a baby or the beauty of, of what happens at a wedding, those are all meant to thrust us towards Jesus so that we worship him. But unfortunately, we have misplaced worship happening all over the place, and that has been to our destruction. Why do families fall apart? We misplace our worship. Why do churches fall apart? We misplace our worship. Why is our country right now falling apart? Because we've misplaced our worship, and we've put it in all the wrong places. You want to see the United States turn around? Do you want to see your family turn around? Do you want to see our church be one that continues to make actual eternal impacts? Put all the glory on Jesus. Just keep bringing him glory. Are we sleepy? Amen? Just keep bringing Jesus glory. Now, here's why I would say that. We put a lot of focus on things that aren't going to last, but we miss putting our focus on things that will and I believe that part of the reason that younger folks struggle with this more than older is that we think we've got forever. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves to be 50 or 60 or 70 or beyond and go, oh my goodness, I cannot believe how fast life goes by. Why would I put my hope and my trust and my focus on things that just don't matter? Let me give you an illustration. How many of y'all have been to the airport? 
How many of you all are not impressed by the aesthetics in the airport? How many of you all have looked around at the aesthetics of the airport and said, man, I'm going to invest a ton of money to make this place look so much better? Why not? Because you're just passing through. The airport is just a way to get you to your final destination. Listen, gang, we're living in the airport right now. We're living in the airport. This is not our final destination. Now, hear me out. I'm not saying that you shouldn't take care of your body. Please do. I'm not saying that you shouldn't take care of your home or you shouldn't take care of your car. I'm not saying that you shouldn't get your finances in order. What I am saying is you do all those things to bring God glory. That's why we do it. I want to take care of myself so that I can honor and glorify the Lord by how I take care of my wife, by how I take care of my daughters, by how I get to minister to some of y'all in this church. Uh, I want to take care of those things because they're great and gracious gifts from God. I don't take care of those things to worship those things. I take care of those things because I worship the one who gave them to me. So let's not be those followers of Jesus that put all of our focus and all of our hope and all of our energy and time and money into the wrong things. Let's put them into the right things. There's a guy named Dave Ramsey. He did this little program called Financial Peace University. My wife and I have been through it multiple times and led through it. And one of his famous statements that I love is that God doesn't raise your, your God doesn't bless you to raise your standard of living. He blesses you to raise your standard of giving. What if we lived with that mentality all the time? I just want to look for ways to glorify God and bless others. How different would our churches and our families and our communities be? Okay, we're going to shift now. You note takers are wondering, when are you going to fill in all these blanks on this piece of paper? Here we go. We're going to take a look at what I call the blessed absences and the blessed uh, presences of what is going to be in the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. It starts in Revelation 21, verse 22, and it says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. This is an easy one. There will be no temple. The Jews had always been used to having to go to a temple in order to offer sacrifices and to experience that intimate fellowship with God. Now, I want to stop and make this a teachable moment for a moment. And I think we've had this misunderstanding of what the temple and the sacrifices were for. I've heard people say, oh yeah, well, they were saved in the Old Testament through animal sacrifices, right? Isn't that how they were saved? The answer to that is absolutely not. They were saved in the Old Testament the same way that we're saved in the New Testament, by the blood of Jesus. You may be going, wait a minute, Jesus hadn't come on the scene yet in the Old Testament. You're right, he hadn't come on the scene yet. But what were the Old Testament animal sacrifices pointing forward to? The sacrifice of the perfect Lamb of God. In fact, John the Baptist even cleared that up for us. Remember, he's out in the wilderness, he's baptizing, he sees Jesus down the road, and what does he yell out? Behold! Everybody listen! Behold! The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, in case you're thinking that, well, but you mean that animal sacrifices didn't save, all we have to do is read the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. And it tells us that by the blood of bulls and goats, people couldn't be saved. That that couldn't actually take away their sin. It just pointed forward to the one who was coming. So how were they saved in the Old Testament? By looking forward to the coming Christ. How are we, served in, or how are we saved in the New Testament? By looking back 
at what Christ had done, that perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So why don't we commit animal sacrifices anymore? Because Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, came and showed what all of those animal sacrifices were pointing forward to. Now go with me to verse 23, if you would. Revelation 21, verse 23. And it says, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. There will be no external light source. There will be no external light source. We won't need the sun. We won't need the moon. We won't need any kind of light source because God's glory is going to be what lights up the whole recreated universe. Now, while this part of it may not be literal, it also teaches us that there won't be any evil or darkness that's oftentimes associated with darkness. Move on to verse 24. It says, by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. The other thing that won't be there is there will be no self-glorification. Pride will disappear as even some of the mightiest kings enter into heaven and they come face to face with the king of kings and they realize, oh my goodness, all the prestige and the power that I thought I had was really nothing compared to knowing the Lord. And what a great lesson for us today. While Jesus might not be here physically with us right now, or we might not be seeing all of his glory right now, do you know that he's still king of kings? And he's still Lord of lords? And he's still the one that's worthy of being worshipped? And why not practice what we're going to be doing for all of eternity right now? Look at verses 25 and 26. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. There will be no shut gates. What were gates for in ancient times? Security and protection. Rarely were the gates of a city left open. Unless a king was entering in or a troop and a battalion was heading out, the gates would almost always remain shut. So what are we being told with these gates being open? There's no enemies. There's no longer any enemy. There's no longer any war we will simply be sitting at the feet of the king of kings, the greatest general of all time. And here's our last blessed absence. It's in verse 27. But nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. There will be no sin, and there will be no sinners. Nothing evil will ever be in the new heaven and the new earth. This includes evil people, And it includes evil practices. It will all be void in the new creation. So now we know what won't be there. What will? What are the blessed presences? This is our last five verses. It begins in verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. There will be the river of the water of life. And here's what's interesting about a river. Every river has to have a source from which it flows. What is our eternal life source going to be? It's going to be the Lord himself. It's going to be Jesus. What a great truth that we get taught. And all of the desire that we've ever had to be loved, to have some type of meaning, to have some type of purpose, it's all going to find its fruition when it flows from the river of life, which finds its source in God Almighty. And then there's Revelation 22 too. 
It says, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of nations. There will be the tree of life. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned. Go all the way back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Adam and Eve are made, Adam and Eve sin, and then their access to the tree of life gets cut off, and they have to experience death. In the new heaven and in the new earth, we're going to have eternal access to the tree of life telling us that we're going to have eternal life. This tree is going to produce its life-giving fruit perpetually, not just seasonally. Right now, trees go through seasons. We're going to get to experience the tree of life, and it's going to be forever. There's going to be no season. It's going to happen. It's going to blossom. It's going to bloom forever and ever. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Then go to verse 3. It says, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. There will be the throne of God and of the Lamb right there in heaven. Remember, the throne is mentioned about 50 times in the book of Revelation. Every time it's meant to push us to the one that sits on it. It points to his majesty. It points to his glory. Man, I can't wait to see what it's going to be like to worship the Lord. I've told you this before, but today, literally hundreds of thousands of people will cheer and scream while they prepare food and they paint their faces and they paint their bellies for a game. It's called the National Football League. It's probably more than hundreds of thousands, probably a few million people will gather around this little idol that we call a television set. It's okay. If you're watching the game, you're not idol worshiping. I'm just doing this for dramatic effect. But imagine this. Here we are, and it can become an idol for some, gathering around that television screen and freaking out for a team that may or may not win. But here's the blessed promise that we have. When we gather around the throne, we are screaming and shouting for the one that can't lose. Go with me to verse 4. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There's going to be intimate fellowship with God Almighty. Here we go with ownership again. When it talks about seeing his face, when Moses wanted to see God face to face, we're not talking about a literal face. God doesn't have a literal body, but we're talking about intimate fellowship. Whenever face-to-face interaction is talked about in both Old and New Testament, has everything to do with this intimate fellowship that one has with another. But then it's interesting that his name will be on their foreheads. What is that going to be like? I don't know, but do you know what that's saying? This is who I belong to. And you want God Almighty's name written on your forehead. That's who you want to belong to. Because remember, we all belong to someone or something. We have all been enslaved to something. And I will tell you what, my master will provide for our every need. That's the master that I want to follow. Look at verse 5 as we wrap this up. It says, And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. There will be unending glory. There will be the unending glory of God. Now, in wrapping this up, I want to tell you that I'm one of those weird people that back when we had DVR, I used to like to DVR the football games. You know, we were just talking about football. And I'm born and raised San Diego boy, so my team's been the Chargers for a long time. 
and I would DVR the Charger games. And then I would already know ahead of time who won because I'd check on ESPN. <laughs> if the Chargers lost, I wouldn't bother watching it. If they won, I'd watch. And people are like, well, that's a pointless waste. You already know they won. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter how harrowing the game may get, how down to the wire it may get. I know in the end they win. Listen, the book of Revelation is a lot like that. You might read through the book of Revelation or even just take a look at the world around you and go, man, this is pretty harrowing. It seems like evil might win out. Then we pick up the book of Revelation and especially the last three weeks that we're spending together in Revelation 21 and 22, and you already know who wins. You get the end of the story. So as bad as it may get around here and as dire as it may seem as we read some of the middle passages, especially in the book of Revelation, we know who wins. We already know who's going to be victorious. And aren't you glad that Jesus, the King of Kings, made the ultimate sacrifice so that you and I could be in heaven with him together? And that's the home that we look forward to. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we are so thankful for the sacrifice that you made on our behalf, and it's because of that that we get to be in heaven with you forever. It's because of that that this world is not our home and that you have a home that is awaiting us. Lord, until we get there, may we be those sacrificial people that are willing to even lay down our lives so that somebody might come to know you. Lord Jesus, we're thankful that after your sacrifice, the story doesn't end there, but that you rose again powerfully from the dead. Then you ascended into heaven, and you made the promise that you're coming again for us. Lord, may we be a people that are so enamored with you and can't wait till you come back that we cry out just like John does at the end of his, his letter. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. So in the mighty name of Jesus, we all pray together. Amen. Gang, it's because of the sacrifice of Jesus that this is in our home. We get to go home and be with him forever. However, there are also some folks sitting in this room. We uh, celebrated Veterans Day yesterday that because of their sacrifice, we get to worship the one who's going to bring us all the way home. If it wasn't for some of those, if it wasn't for some of those sacrifices by men and women that are sitting in this room that have been made... Uh, we may not have the opportunity to gather together and do what we're doing. So I, as much as I know our veterans love to be put on the spot, I'm going to ask you, just our veterans, would you stand right now so that we could recognize you, men and women that have served our country? And then if you would stay, stay standing, guys, stay standing. I'm going to ask veterans, stay, stay standing where you're at. I'm going to just thank the Lord for you all. And then when I am done praying, look around for one of these men and women that have served and thank them. Um, get Jeremy on each other, if you would. So let me, let me pray and just thank the Lord for those of you that are standing right now. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we're so thankful um, that you have called certain people to serve our country, which initially was founded upon your word. It was founded upon your son, Jesus. And Lord, you have made it clear that you bless those that honor you. And Lord, you will curse those that dishonor you. And so Lord, may we be a people that continue to bring you honor and glory. Lord, thank you for those that sacrifice so much. Thank you for their families that sacrifice so much that we now have the opportunity to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords freely. Lord, if that freedom is ever lost, may we still continue to worship you regardless of cost because this is not our home. We're just passing through. 
awaiting our final destination. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all pray together. Amen. Gang, find one of these folks, give them some love, and we will see you next week. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us.